Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like my show, you're going to love Brad Behavior with Brad Gorski, the newest podcast from the Lady Gang Network and Podcast One. From the red carpet to the runway, TV personality, stylist to the stars, and author Brad Gorski gets undressed in candid interviews with other celebrities and friends. Each week, they contemplate and celebrate fashion, pop culture, and life's random surprises. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss Brad Behavior every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is another episode of the Tears Podcast, one of my favorites with Matt Moore, longtime friend of the show, and my typical Tears compatriot. We go through the entire NBA and talk about not only where teams stand right now, but also how things have changed since the last time we did this, which was about a month in. And we've seen some real changes for me about how I feel about different teams. And so it was fun to work through that process again. Episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus and CBS Sports HQ. You just download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ. These episodes are always a fun, clarifying experience, both in terms of the conversation and also the prep it takes to intelligently have the conversation. So I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. We did this about a month ago, and what I what I thought was interesting when I was working through it myself, I never look at the last one I did when I'm working on it because I think that would bias the results and all that kind of stuff. But what I, I thought was the most interesting part of this as I was working through it in you know in early December is that I kind of had this first basic break, which was the teams that I think are good. Like I think they're about. 11 12 teams that are like okay they're good they're deal with that and then have the other 18 where it's like either i'm not sure or they're not and so how i did it this time was i first did that initial separation and then within those groups i kind of separated out who i have more and less faith in how about you yeah so my i have a lot more groups this time and i have um they've been a lot more kind of parsed out i think because to me there are clear clear delineations between how various team seasons are going right so like it's I base this one a little bit more off of feel rather than record or um, title performance. Like it's all kind of relative to being able to win the title. But some of it's like there are teams like I have the Wizards way higher because I'm like the Wizards are having a good season relative to expectations. Like they're fun to watch, they're competitive and they're frisky. So they get more points than say the Magic that have a better record. But the Magic are just more largely like ugh. Like, all right, the Magic are there. The Wizards are, like, at least a little bit compelling. So they are a little bit higher on this for me, and I parsed them out a lot more. Um, just in advance, because we never really have time for the teams at the bottom, I just wanted to say that there are uh, two tiers at the very bottom comprised of one team. The second-to-last worst tier is the Warriors, which is would be the worst if not for the Knicks, and the last the tier is the, the Knicks. Knicks. I nearly had the Knicks in their own tier. I think I'm going to save that for next time if they're still like this. But, Wow. I mean that it it is worth worth mentioning, and you're right because we we usually go top to bottom because more people are interested in the top than the bottom. It is worth mentioning that, and yeah, the Warriors, yeah, well, I I have them in a tier with some other teams, but I I totally get the idea there. Uh, so since since you, you it seems like you adjusted your rationale more, I'll let you start with what your top tier is. 
So I started out, if you remember, we did in the, in the offseason, I had like a very healthy, big chunk of teams at the top because I really felt like they all were legitimate title contenders. And now that list is down to just three um, as it currently stands. And with a caveat that the Sixers can finally find the magic that's been missing with them pretty much since their rise to prominence. Um, and with caveats like maybe what Russell Westbrook will hit a jump shot sometime or uh, maybe Mike Conley will start to look like Mike Conley again. My top tier is just the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Those are the only three teams that I feel – uh, really should be considered can win the title. If they're in the finals versus any team in the league, they have what I would consider to be a 50% chance or better of winning the title. Um, the Lakers, obviously, you know, big profile wins this week versus the Jazz and the Nuggets um, on the road on a back to back. The defense has been phenomenal. The offense is coming around. They're, they've gotten healthy with Kyle Kuzma back. And I don't think much of Kuzma, but he just gives you a little like extra offensive boost, which is nice. Uh, I think, you know, Avery Bradley, when he gets back, is going to help a lot of things. Dwight Howard is kind of settled in after some rough patch shortly after Avery Bradley's injury. Uh, the Clippers are the one team that I'm mostly like, I don't really believe that much in them. Uh, but based off of their talent, their skill set, what's really kind of frustrating is it's like it doesn't matter what the Clippers do in the regular season. I just kind of have to assume that this team is built for the playoffs. And I don't even necessarily know if that's true because they have a lot of young guys in key positions like Zubac um, and Shamit when he gets back healthy. They have guys with spotty playoff histories like Paul George, who I, I love and was great with the Pacers, but has had some playoff issues since then. Uh, Lou Williams has always been a playoff train wreck, just an absolute trash can fire. But you kind of have to believe in him because of how good he and Montrez Harrell are. Um, and then the Bucs, like, the Bucs just have the most complete resume. Like, no one's going to – very few people are going to resoundingly believe the Bucs because – you probably did that last year and it bit you. And so now you're like, well, I got to see it. But the Bucks have done nothing in the regular season to dissuade us from the idea that they can win the title. I have the same three teams and I didn't hesitate. You know, that they really have separated. And I think the other reason why they have to me is the idea that any other team would have to win, presumably, at least two series against those three teams. And if you're in the West, maybe three. And I could see some of the teams that are in the next tier winning a series you know i could see you could see an upset especially if there's an injury you know like that's that's the way this works but requiring them to win two just seems like too much and i and the other part that that i think is one of the big stories for me of this season so far is that those three teams the case for anybody else getting into that mix i thought a, a part of it was due to the uncertainty of all three of these i mean the clippers and lakers are totally remade the bucks are just different and they don't have the same you know the same kind of track record because they lost in the conference finals last year so the idea was partially okay a team like the rockets or the sixers they're better than we thought and those other teams just aren't there and with those other three teams being there and possibly even being better than i thought you know the the expected outcome and then maybe they're getting into the higher ones that it just makes life so much harder because you know it, it maybe it isn't the peak warriors or anything like that but those are three loaded teams they're three versatile teams that also have done well at conceptually and actually in most cases on both ends of the floor so beating the lakers is a much bigger undertaking now than i expected at the beginning of the season yeah like if you get a win versus the lakers like it's something to really crow about like we're back to that kind of a of a scenario um we're recording this on friday buck's uh, Clippers is tonight. And that's a fascinating game. The, just a super fascinating game um, from multiple angles. Well, and I, uh, so I wanted to talk briefly those two teams 
and I didn't think about this in the context of their game later tonight, but I would say with the two of them, maybe more so than the Lakers, I'm just so firmly in wait and see, but where it's like, what can we learn before April? I think that's the, right. that's kind of the way you put it. So for the Clippers, you brought you talked about this really well. I mean, we need to see their personnel. Also, the Clippers have, to me, the most potential to upgrade between now and April because they have their own first-round pick to trade. They have a bunch of good salaries. If, if Lawrence Frank wants to do that, they can't. I'm not saying they will, but they can't. And with the Bucks. It's more just a proof of concept thing. I mean, their their offense it was significantly harder, and their defense part of it tactically is they give up they give up threes. You know, they they t- suffocate a lot of other things, and they give up threes. Well, the challenge there is the best teams have players that are capable of exploiting that. You know, that if you're giving up threes, then the Clippers and the Lakers, not the Sixers, which I think is really important, have guys that can really do that. And so, I, I with both of them. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it. Uh, I I actually talked about this a little bit with Ben Golliver in a podcast that will be released after this one about the idea that the Bucks are that they're they're kind of so stable right now, at least in terms of the regular season product. They're likely the best regular season team. They're just a ridiculous one, but because of what happened last year, and 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 because with basically any good team that's that's new and young, you always want to see it before you believe it. Yeah, and I think it's tough because this is actually my thinking on it. Um, I will go to my grave believing they were the better team last year. I just, I do. I think they were better than the Raptors. I think they should have won that series. I think if you look at it, they won the minutes in which Giannis and Kawhi were on the floor, but Fred Van Vliet was not. And they lost all of the minutes in which Fred Van Van Vliet played. And like that was the difference in the series. And Fred Van Vliet's a really good player and is going to be a point guard in in this league for a long time, is going to be a starter and going to earn good money and had a great college career. Like Fred Van Vliet's really good. He's just not as good as he was in that series. Um, So I want to – my initial reaction when I think about that is to be like, okay, so it won't happen again. So that was a fluke happening and I could just ride the bucks again. But the problem is like in this league, we've just seen so often – there are these teams that they should be better. They should. They are. They look like the, the better team. They play better. They don't win. And for like whatever reason, like stuff just happens to them consistently. And I worry that the Bucks might be that. I worry that Mike Budenholzer is actually like very much that coach, the coach that like can just consistently rack up huge wins, great teams, awesome net ratings. Um, everyone's like, well, can they win in the playoffs? And I'm like, well, they they literally beat two teams in the playoffs. Like they they demolished the Pistons left zero doubt from the start of that series and they completely just like leveled the Celtics. But because the Celtics were such a train wreck, everybody was like, well, yeah, but they Kyrie and all that. It's like, no, like that was a Brad Stevens team that everyone like thought was like the East contender going into the season and they trucked them, but they can win. And they were up 2 0 on the Raptors. They can win in the playoffs. They can't win when a tidal wave of events occur against them. But I'm hesitant to be like, well, I can't trust, you know, I can believe that won't happen again because there are things like you can play back on Giannis. You can go back to the rim and there are guys of his athletic profile. Like Siakam is kind of the concern. Like if they, face the Raptors again as good as Kawhi was in that series I'm still going to be a little bit nervous if they face the Celtics you mentioned the three-point shooting I'm going to be a little bit nervous because of how much Boston shoots the three Boston can get super hot if you leave them open um now we're learning a lot about I think the number of three-point attempts allowed that was like the going consensus for a while right that if you give up a lot of threes, you're going to be a bad defense. It's all about how many threes you give up, not the percentage. Except that we've seen this season, a bunch of the teams in the top five defensively are amongst the top five in three-pointers allowed.
allowed. There's just been a subtle shift in where you can test those from in corner threes versus above the break and the rhythm that you can test in. But all of these things, I think, matter within the context. My thing with the Clippers, I still don't believe in the rim protection. They're ninth around the rim and non-post-ups via synergy. All their numbers and the tracking data add up. I just look at Zubach and Harrell and I go, somebody should be able to figure out how to create cuts to victimize those guys for chasing blocks. They're just not really sound defenders. You should be able to, to get those guys either on the perimeter or moving around inside and punish them. And nobody really has yet because their perimeter contain is so good. But I do wonder in the playoffs if that's going to be a problem that they just simply, if they can, if they go up against a team that can just consistently plug away inside, I really want to see Nuggets Clippers to see how that matchup shakes out, assuming that Jokic ever gets his mojo back. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting one. Lakers, Clippers, when these teams are closer to fully formed, will be will be must see TV. Considering no team can plug away on the interior quite like the Lakers can. Though incidentally, the Bucks are interesting too because they have some they have more spacing. So how those how all three of these top teams that we both have there shake out is going to be fascinating. Lots of additional teams to discuss with Matt. But first, a message from BetOnline.ag. You're going to hear from. Dave Mason at betonline.ag a little bit later, but to reiterate, this is a fantastic time in sports for all purposes, but especially for those who are inclined to gamble. We have a loaded NFL slate, Niners, Saints, Ravens, Bills, Chiefs, uh, Patriots, and also we're getting closer to bowl season, which is something that Dave and I talked about. And also I'm doing super well in the hashtags Sportsnet Challenge, which is exciting. And however you want to do it, use the podcast one promo code at betonline.ag for a 50% sign up bonus. Whether you're going to be watching the game anyway and just want to make it more interesting or you think you have insight that will be potentially useful and hopefully lucrative for you, no matter what you want to do, you can do it at betonline.ag. They also have in-game wagering, which is pretty exciting and fun. So again, go to betonline.ag and don't forget to use the podcast one promo code to tell them that you came from us and get a 50% sign up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. For me, the next group, what I ended up doing, so before this was the hardest to parse, but now I, I brought up in the kind of in the intro that for me it's a kind of a 12 team top group. And what I ended up doing was there are teams in this area so like the Sixers and the Jazz and the Mavericks and they they were the hardest team I nearly had them in a tier by themselves um I I originally was going to separate them more and what I realized was there are big differences I mean like the Rockets are a strong regular season team and all that but what I realized is I don't know that the differences in terms of where I see them right now are that important I do see them but what I ended up doing was just saying okay yeah all of them can could win a series against one or two of the other teams in this group they could so like I could see I could see them putting up a fight. I mean, we already saw Dallas beat the Lakers and a few of these other ones, but really I think I just I ended up not separating them. I just said, okay, these I'll just run through it. Sixers, Raptors, Celtics, Rockets, Heat, Nuggets, Jazz, Pacers, Mavericks. You just all go in one bucket for right now until I figure out if there's a difference between you that actually matters. Yeah, I parsed a little bit different. So where I went to was um this next group, I you know, I had three in the top, and this next group is only four teams. And this next group is what I'm calling the academic advisor's office. And it's you go in, you're in your sophomore year, it's second semester, uh, you it's cold out, you broke up with your boyfriend and girlfriend, things are getting rough, your parents are on your case, and your academic advisor says they want to see you, and you go in and they're like, This is you're really struggling in some of these courses. 
your your track for graduation is a little bit in doubt here. Like you need to really pick it up because this is a problem for it. You're going to be shy unless you turn things around. That's how it is for the Nuggets, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Raptors. They're in the academic advisor's office, and it's like, look, you have a lot of potential. You can do great things here, but you're going to have to pick it up. Um, and that's where I think we are because of the Nuggets – it's Nikola Jokic is going to have to turn it around. The Nuggets are maybe the like the the team that's in the best position, I think, because they've played really well. They have a great record. They have a good win profile, and yet it's really just like if Jokic, their best player, just plays a little like little less ass, then they're going to be really really good. That's the only thing holding them back. They've gotten great seasons from Will Barton. Jamal Murray has very quietly been really good defensively, which I did not think was going to be the case this season. I thought he, with the money, he would back off on that end. Instead, he's picked it up. His passing has been much better. His turnovers are down. Um, those are all really good signs. So the Nuggets, I think, have like the best. They don't need anything else. Um, the Sixers, I just think, continue to be. They're similar to the Nuggets. In that in that aspect of like they have all this potential, but with the Sixers, it just always feels like there's something missing, and it really just comes down to they have no one to carry them. I, mean, I thought it was going to be Embiid, and there's just he just doesn't. He just he starts fights and he gets big dunks, but he he still has problems with double teams, and he's still able to be flustered, and he's still inconsistent, and he vanishes, and he takes too many perimeter shots. Like Joel Embiid has not been good enough in terms of his on-court performance for me to have faith that the Sixers can make a deep playoff run. Um, well, let me, the, let me chime in there briefly. I, yeah. I think my biggest issue with the Sixers is that offensively, it's hard to even see what their bread and butter could be. You know, it's not necessarily that they don't have one because that's there, but you know, cause we're in December and this, there's a lot of it's a season, but Joel Embiid is not a versatile enough offensive player. And what he does best is, not as valuable against the best teams. I mean, they he might still have to play Marcus Gasol again in the playoffs. We we don't know how that's going to work out. But and, and remember, they were really close against the Raptors last year, and the Raptors ended up winning the NBA championship. But the 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 Sixers is just like I mean, can they if if they're if they're five points down with forty five seconds to go and they have the ball? Do you feel confident that they can get the two buckets necessary, even if they get a stop in transition? I mean, no. it's it, it and. That's that's terrifying. You know, like that to me that's why it will be very hard for me to put them in that top tier, even though they could win a championship this year. Like it, yeah. it's it's not an insane case, especially I mean, because of the defensive talent and their their, their best lineups are still crushing other teams. But th- that keeps me up at night. I mean, because the best teams can do it enough. You know, even if it, like I didn't necessarily believe in the Raptors' offense every second of last year, but Kawhi can get a bucket. You know, some of the other stuff and and. I just don't see it with the Sixers. Yeah, and I just think that they're a lot of this. This too. This is what's interesting is you know we can talk about win profiles and and resumes and everything else, but a lot of this is just feeling. It's just like you know the Nuggets are good, but I don't know. I don't know if I feel like they can actually go in and win a a, a pivotal road game versus the Lakers. And with the Sixers, it's like I don't know if they're if they can avoid getting bit. That's what's kind of shocking with them is like forget the Bucks. Like I'm worried about them getting upset because it's it's going to oh, be late they, in the yeah, game. Th- and that's what another reason why they can't be in that top tier is I could see them losing to anybody. Like yeah. other than you know if they face a really like bad like like an East, an East team that's happy to be there. You know that sort right. of team. Yeah. But yeah. I wanted to ask you a Nuggets question as somebody who's closer to it geographically. Something I wanted to see this season was power forward of the future more so than power forward of the present. And you know Millsap and Jeremy Grant different types of power forwards if we're going if we're going to call them both that 
How do you kind of see that playing out so far this year? Well, what's been crazy is Millsap's adjusted. Um, like I, I've always been a huge Paul Millsap fan, but it's just been it's absurd what he's doing this season. Um, I think he really went into the offseason and realized that the best way for him to play in this offense was to take advantage of post-ups versus mismatches and then be ready to spot up a lot quicker than he has in the past. Um, he's averaging 2.5 uh, three-point attempts per game, which doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not the most of his career. Um, but it is like – it's a slight step up from last season – uh, per 100, it's uh, it's up there with how he was his first season in Denver, which he was truncated by injury, and closer to his 5.1 he shot in Atlanta. He's also shooting uh, a whopping 48% on three-pointers this season. He's just been money. And so he's he's been ready to deliver and hit big shots when the help comes on Jokic, and that's I think, has helped them a ton with all of their offensive issues is Millsap being ready to step up and make a play. Um, we kind of all thought that like by the end of the year, Grant might look better. And that has not been the case. Grant's looked terrible on off the ball uh, defensively, and he's looked really shady in terms of his his consistency with his shot. Um, doesn't have as many opportunities for little Duncans and stuff like that because he was used to that with Russ. The Nuggets don't run that kind of offense, so he's still trying to figure it out. I think a lot of it is just comfort. I think that's what most of his struggles are. But Millsap's been just really phenomenal in pretty much like every aspect of the game. Yeah, that that makes sense with what I've seen, but I've, you've obviously watched more, so I, I appreciate that and seen it in person, which sometimes can provide a different level of color. So you had two other teams in this group, Celtics and Raptors, is that right? Yeah, so those two groups are in here because it's basically like, okay, look, you can be in the conversation, but you're going to have to make a trade. Like That's the deal is like the Celtics are good enough. It's pretty evident that if they were to add one big man, they'd be in business. I don't know how they get that deal done. I don't know what the assets they'd have to give up to get it would be. I don't know what that deal would be. Steven Adams is one that gets tossed around a lot. Um, but I just think that they are one competent big man that can finish inside, make a few more plays. I like what I've seen from Robert Williams, the third. I like what I've seen from Grant Williams. I like what I've seen from Tice. Tice's fouls are out of, out of this world, but like generally speaking, they've done really well, but it feels like they're one front court weapon away that they need one guy. that could finish inside that would really make a difference and could put them in the actual title contender scrap. Um, the Raptors, I kind of feel the same way about where it's like Siakam has been phenomenal and that's helped carry them. Like Lowry was banged up, but it's still Lowry. Gasol still has nights where he does stuff like how he shut down Embiid. But, you know, offensively, they probably need another spark plug. It can't just be Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and then like the steadiness of Lowry with Gasol adding in less than 10 points per game. Like you're going to need one more weapon. So I think they need one more guy in order to really be in title contention status. Now, that's not to say that the Celtics or Raptors can't win the East. I think they can win the East because of the vulnerabilities we talked about with Milwaukee and, and Philadelphia. But if the Celtics or Raptors just upset those teams, it would be more about the failures of the Sixers and Bucks, And then they would face any of those teams that come out of the Western Conference and just get, just, just get stomped. I could see the Raptors or the Celtics playing one of those hard-fought six-game series type of things where it's like, the the series went further than you thought it would, but they were ne- we never really thought they would win. Like right. I could see that type of a series, but yeah, for them to actually you know come come away with it against the Lakers, the Clippers, they're just so immensely talented. It would be it would be a big undertaking. I think that's a good way of putting it, and that's why using the championship rather than the finals is important because then one team's specific matchups or foibles don't become as big of an issue. So I grouped all the rest of kind of the teams in this group in a separate one. You have more, obviously, that would be teams 
teams like the Rockets and the Heat, are they in another another category or two? Yeah, so beneath those top two tiers is the third tier, which is just four teams again. And it's Mavericks, Heat, Rockets, and Jazz. Uh, and this group is a lot uh, two mixes of um, wide variance in terms of expected performance versus actual. And that's not just like preseason performance. I mean, actual, the expected uh, effective field goal percentage versus their actual. Like, the Heat are just shooting so much better than their effective field goal percentage should be, and they're allowing teams to shoot so much worse than what they should. There's just uh, there's a reason why betters keep hammering against the Heat. Like, they are one of the teams that when we use our tools at Action Network to look at the money versus the tickets, there's been a consistent trend of, of them fading the Heat in key spots because they're waiting for Miami to regress. They've waited for two teams to come back to where they should be. They've waited for the Bulls to get better, and they've waited for the Heat to get worse. And the Heat keep plugging away, which is a credit to them, but that's one of the reasons I'm still kind of like, look, it's been really impressive. They've done the job, but I still don't believe the Heat are really at that level. I just don't. Um, with Dallas, it's look, the offense is incredible, but I don't think the offense is sustainable long term i think eventually luca falls to earth a little bit and that hurts you their starting unit with kp has actually been pretty bad they have the best bench net rating in the league for all their bench players that's absurd given the talent that they have on there it's a credit to rick carlisle but it's also probably going to regress a little bit and when that happens i think the mavericks probably come back to earth a little bit they caught the nuggets in, a, in their early season kind of swoon when Jokic was at his worst um, they snuck up on a Rockets team that tends to get snuck up on. We've kind of learned that that's possible for you to do. So their signature wins don't look quite as good. Um, the Knicks losses don't concern me. So that's part of it is like you can take one of the Lakers losses and or the Nuggets win and, and flip it into the Lakers or, or the Knicks loss and just kind of even it out. But I just don't think the Mavericks are quite at that level. The Rockets and Jazz are just two teams where I'm like, you're not just one piece away. You're not just like, oh, we just get it. Like the, the Rockets just continue for it to be they do not have a cohesive consistency enough on either side of the ball to believe that in a seven-game series, they're going to come out versus the top teams. And that may not be fair given the Rockets have really only lost to the Warriors and then one year losing to the Spurs in a weird series. But look, I can't ignore how badly Russell Westbrook is shooting and the and the impact that that has. Teams are openly doubling Russ and daring him to beat them. Now, the Raptors did it, and they beat him, but... In a playoff series, you're going to see a lot more like what the Nuggets did, where Russ was like, I think, 2 of 11 on open shots in that game. Like, that's a real scary point for them. They're relying a lot on Ben McLemore and Daniel House, and I cannot believe that's going to be able to hold up in a playoff series. Their defense has been inconsistent as well. And then the Jazz just, you know, they've tailed off offensively. The defense hasn't been where it needs to be. They're going to get it together. Tony Jones of The Athletic is constantly saying, like, look, the schedule's been rough. They've been on the road a lot. They've had a lot of games. They've been on the road. They've played great teams. It's gonna, They're going to get better, and they will. But my problem is I'm like, it's just not going to help as much when they get better and they just beat up a bunch of trash teams and they still don't have anything real to show for it. It's very rare that I say you need to win big regular season games. The Jazz need to get a few signature wins under their belt to show they can go toe-to-toe with the best. Because right now, all it's going to show is like, oh, no, we're a really good team. We can win 55 games by beating the Hawks and the Magic. I don't care about that. Like you, You're supposed to be a title contender. you got to get a few notches on your belt versus the top teams. And without it, I have a hard time buying in. Also, the nature of some of those losses is, is, is real. I mean, they got their butts kicked a couple times recently, and that's right. that's never a good sign, too. So, you know, like they're, they're, I'm not saying like moral victories, but there are games because we're not just counting wins and losses, especially when we're watching. You where a team can look good against a talented opponent, and maybe 
you know, maybe it's just a few guys missed open shots and you expect those to go in the next time. Or you got the theory of maybe they figured out the offense in the second half and they were down by so much that it that it, it wasn't enough to win the game. There are those type of circumstances, but what concerns me about the Jazz is that we haven't even seen those. You know, so it's been it's been more getting beat by teams that look like they're better than the Jazz. And I agree with you that Utah will look better towards the end of the year. I, I, uh, I, I'm, but I'm just less enthusiastic now about the conceit of this team against really strong opposition. And you know it, the the idea of like, okay, are they going to be able to get buckets, and are they going to be able to stop teams? And I mean, they, to me, they have the profile actually, in some ways, sort of like not not the same type of team, but. Like those Celtics teams that you and I have discussed in recent years, where it's like, yeah, they can they can win games. They're a good team, but can they, what can they do when Kawhi and LeBron or you know like the, these loaded teams when they come calling? Like, are are the things they do going to work? Right, I think those are all like real concerns. Um, so that's like my Mavericks, Heat, Rockets, Jazz group, and now we kind of dip into all right. We're out of like the supposed contenders and into just having a good year. Um, I've got three teams in this next group, which are just like, you know what? They're better than we expected. Like the, the feeling on them is good. Like as opposed to, to, to feeling like, Oh boy, this year has not gone the way we wanted. It's like, you know, it's not, it's been pretty good. It's not great, but it's not bad. And it's the wolves, the Suns, and the Hornets. Um, I really like the wolves. I think they have, their defense is really inconsistent. And when it's bad, it's terrible. But when they get the rope, they have the ability to get some stops. And with Talents playing the way that he is, I like Culver and Covington. Wiggins has, has played well. Um, they've gotten contributions all over. I, I just really like the design of what the Wolves are doing schematically. I don't love their drop coverage and pick and roll. I think that's something that's going to eventually get you crushed in a playoff series. But they've, I think they've had like a really good year. Um, the Suns just have been fun. Like They're just a fun team. They tail off a little bit, but they're going to get Aiton and Baines back. And when they do... I still think they're, they're going to be really tough to beat because they have a lot more firepower. Once you have Aiden to combine with Rubio and to pull gravity away from Booker, that I think is going to open up a lot of stuff. And Baines is just like he's been shooting so well. I think that's really going to going to help. I think their defense can improve. I think Monty Williams can get them back to where they were to start the season. I don't think they're going to be like a great team, but I think they'll be. I think they'll be a five hundred ish. The Hornets, Devontae Graham, man. Devontae Graham puts them in this tier by himself. Like He is just so much fun to watch. He has been so great for this team. Like The Hornets are just – they play so free. They play wide open. Um, they have nights where they just absolutely get trucked, but they have nights where they're just a pain in the ass. They are having the season that a lot of the bad teams – like everybody kind of thought like the Hawks were going to be that team. Like, well, they're not going to be great, but I think they'll be competitive and be really frisky. And instead, it's the Hornets – with Devontae Graham. So that's like a, a tier under themselves uh, for me with the Wolves, the Suns, and the Hornets, with the feel-good, not-great teams. The thing that's dumbfounding to me is that the Hornets have a top-10 three-point shooting team so far. I mean, I would have never seen that coming. Right? Like, like that's There have been a lot of things that are just like, you know, and there always are. There are always these things that we just don't see coming. I think that's really shocking. Plenty of teams to talk about still with Matt Moore, but I wanted to let you know that today's episode of Real GM Radio is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network. It is live 24-7 and costs you nothing. That's right, sports coverage that is always on and always free. It's great that it is it is focused on the game. Highlights, breaking news as it happens, fantasy advice, and of course, gambling picks and analysis to get that extra edge. The knowledge that you will get, what you're looking for, tips and trends if you're looking for bets or highlights is really exciting. And don't forget... 
It's all completely free, not just temporarily for a week or a month, or if you have some sort of special cable package. It is totally and completely free for everybody. You don't even need to log in, which is something that I absolutely love. All you have to do, download the CBS Sports app in your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or whatever connected device you have to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates, just sports for real sports fans for completely free. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything. What you do is you download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Are you through all of that group for you in the next tier, or where's your next tier at? Well, yeah. So I have this top twelve that are that are we've all we've spoken through all all twelve of them. And then what I did was they, they the initial separation was the top versus the bottom, and then I started separating out the bottom. I I didn't go with with as much with good stories or whatever. It was on this section. It was basically who I thought were good teams, and then so it was it more on overall talent slash what we expect moving forward. So I split it in three groups. I'm not going to go through all of them now. But what I did is I, I did the best of the rest. Under five, like teams, teams that I expect to finish below 500, but I don't think they're awful. So, like, you could say, like, t- I, I called it the eh, maybe group, where, you know, like, I, I if you, if, if, if somebody from March or April came back and told me that they were around 500, maybe even a little better, I would be like, oh, okay, I wouldn't have expected it, but it, it's plausible. And then I had the dregs, which are teams that, to me, don't have that plausibility. For me, the, the best of the rest group includes a bunch of teams you just talked about. The Suns and the Wolves, most notably, actually do not have the Hornets in this tier. And then the ones that I have joining them are the Magic. I believe in their defense. Their offense is weird, and we'll, we'll probably... I mean, considering how great Evan Fortier is playing, the fact that their offense is still where it is 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 concerning. They had that just heinous game against the Warriors. Um, and then also in this group... The Pistons, I'm a believer that when Blake Griffin's on the floor, they can be a competitive team and that they just would need him on the floor more. And then the Blazers and the Nets, I'm not sold on either of them all the way, but I think they have enough. And so I just, I think they're better than the other teams I'm going to mention. It's funny because um, I actually have a, have a here, here's a, uh, a real hot take. Um, after the Wolves, the Suns, and the Hornets. So I'm, I'm through 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I'm through 14 teams. Mm-hmm. My 15th team is a, a, a ranking to, to them their own, and it's the Wizards. And let me explain. Because, the they're, because to, they're like league pass dynamite? Yes. And the, it, this is the biggest thing I, I've said. Um, I've been arguing for the midseason tournament, and I'm one of the few people that's in favor of it. I'm like one of only like four people I know that think it's a good idea. Um, and my best argument for it is the Wizards to say, like, look, walls out the entire year. This albatross forty million dollar contract. They've they they cut out everybody else. They added a bunch of like uh, weird journeymen and random young dudes uh, with some rookies thrown in, and Beal just doing his thing. Uh, and yet they're terrible. They have what may be the worst defense we've ever seen in the NBA. However, on any given night. Like last night versus the Sixers, they could just jump up and bite you because they just score the lights out of the ball. They just score so that, much. That Davis Berton second quarter was bananas. Just bananas. And so my thing has been for the midseason tournament, the Wizards fans are playing for are watching for nothing. There's nothing to really get out of this. You're not going to make the playoffs. You're not going to get close to the playoffs. You're not going to make a run if you did somehow sneak in. Even if you like eked out enough games at 37 wins and got in as the eighth seed, you're not going anywhere. But if you told me that there was a midseason tournament this year and the start, like the big star teams were like, eh, we're not really interested. We're going to rest our guys in the first couple of rounds. If we make the finals, then yeah, they'll play. 
Um, and it was, and the Wizards won their divisional versus a really weak division. Like the Heat just got hit by a bug, and like their their shooting regressed, and the Wizards went bonkers, and they got in, and they outscored the Magic, and they handled the Hawks, and now all of a sudden the Wizards are in this tournament. I would be like salivating over whatever their odds were just to be able to put in a long shot number in on the Wizards to get hot for four games, knock off these teams and win this midseason cup that nobody think means anything. And for the Wizards fans, it would be like, this is awesome. Like it doesn't, we do, we knew this team was going to be bad. It's just great that we won something. This was just cool to watch. Like the Wizards are the exact reason we need the midseason tournament for the possibility of them actually being able to pull it off and win that thing. Yeah. I, I, I still am, ambivalent about the tournament but you did make a good argument about those teams that don't have anything really to look forward to right. and and giving them giving them something and media yeah, i could generate revenue and all that stuff as well so yeah the wizard the wizards are fun i, I kind of want to mention I, I hadn't thought about this connection before but i think there's a, a big one between the wolves and the pistons in that both of those teams have a single star and they have support players too but like when carl anthony towns is on the floor when blake griffin's on the floor those teams make sense and with the Pistons, they just didn't have Blake Griffin on the floor as much because he was hurt and everything else. And Carl Anthony Towns has played more because he's he's very durable and everything else. And it, it's kind of funny that there are these parallels between those two teams because it also kind of works out that I think they might end up in about the same place in their respective conferences. So even though the Wolves, I think, are a little bit better and they've been healthier and all that, it, it is kind of the same story. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. Uh, so... Getting some of the teams that you mentioned after the Wizards, which is a fun way to, to do this. Uh, I have a group that's basically dreading compet- competency, which is their teams are just competent enough to keep their fans watching, and yet the fans can't feel good about it at all. Like they just can't be like excited or like we could really do something. Uh, the Nets, the Magic, the Blazers, and the Kings. Those teams are going to be good enough to hang around the playoff race. Uh, those teams are going to be good enough. Um, and like the mellow thing is a wonderful story and they could even make the playoffs, but they're, they're not going anywhere significant. Uh, the nets really are, I think flawed in a lot of ways they're getting better, which is I'm noticing is a trend with Kenny Atkinson is like the first month of the season. It takes them a while to figure out what they're doing. And then they take off in December. Um, I have some concerns just because of like how they looked with Kyrie versus how they look without, which is a familiar chestnut for everyone. Um, so that's kind of the concern with the blazers, you know, there's like they needed Melo to boost them up. And I'm like, I just don't think like they've been better with him on the floor defensively than off. I don't think that's going to hold. I think the schedule will get harder and they'll start to really struggle again. Um, I think they're, they're a pretty miserable team just in terms of like who they're relying on night in and night out. And the Magic just don't have enough offense. Like they just don't. They need one more guy. Like that team badly needs to go get a bucket getter. Like I am the guy that's constantly kind of like oh, bucket getters don't actually help you all that much. The bucket getters usually don't help you because you don't have a sound defense and you don't have guys that can run a competent system on either side. The Magic have those guys. They need a bucket getter. Like they should be calling in Jamal Crawford. They should be calling in the Spurs. Ask about DeMar DeRozan. Even these mid-range dudes, I'm just like, man, you just need raw production. Like, you just need somebody to go in and get you 25, and you would be in a lot better position. Um, well, so yeah, it's, this, like, it's this old idea about how certain players who generate reliable but relatively inefficient offense, like how, right. how they're bad, but reliable but relatively inefficient offense is still better than the Magic are getting a bunch of the time. Right. And then below them, I've got teams that are just like 
they're like little puppy dogs on three legs that you're just like, oh, like you're so close, but no, you can't. Oh, you're not ever going to win the race. Oh, because it's the Pelicans, the Pistons, the Bulls, and the Thunder. The Pelicans are really fun, but even when Zion gets back, their defense is a train wreck. They have the worst perimeter containment of any defense I've seen in the league. Like they just allow dudes to continuously get by them at bad angles for the defense to get to the rim and attack, and that's a problem. I love their offense. But the defense is just way too bad. Um, the Pistons, I just can't see. I mean, a lot of it, like the Pistons can, I think, have some ability to get out of this tier, at least into the upper one and maybe even the Wolves, Suns, Hornets. And the reason is, like, they just need they need point guard play. And without Reggie Jackson, they don't have it. And they're just really miserable when they do not have a competent point guard on the floor. Um, Reggie's actually really huge for them in terms of net rating over the last three seasons. I've talked about this constantly on every podcast I go on that when the Pistons come up. They're just better with Reggie Jackson on the floor. And without him, um, they really struggle because they need somebody to just set the table a little bit. And he's not great, and he's not an awesome shooter, and there's all these things that are bad about Reggie Jackson. But they're better when he's on the court because it just makes everything easier for the guys that are good. Um, their defense has been really shoddy, but I think that there's probably room Dwayne Casey can can maneuver to get them better. The Bulls are maybe the most infuriatingly bad team, and that, that's one you can almost in, entirely oh, look at coaching. The, yeah. No team has pissed me off more than the Chicago Bulls this year. Yeah. And pissed betters off. Believe me. Like they have been just, uh, they have been so infuriating to bet on um, in every single scenario. And if you bet against them, that's the night that they finally get it together. And it's just, it's really infuriating. Uh, the th- I put the Thunder in that group just mostly because it's like, they're fine. Like, it's, like there's there's nothing really like there's not you can't expect more out of the Pistons. They're a three legged puppy hopping along, but um, they're fun enough to watch. They're competent and they're not like truly awful. I had a I had a little bit of a thought about splitting. So my my I talked about the best of the rest group. The next one I said under five hundred, but not awful. Like basically, there's a, a possibility that they could get in. And and for me, the Pelicans have been so sidetracked by injuries, not just Zion, but also I think the favors absence has really just hurt them because they don't have enough guys that can that can play center. I mean, they've been relying a lot on Jackson Hayes and Julia Look for and you know, the, I've seen signs from Hayes, but he's just not quite there yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's a young rookie. And the Pelicans also there's this interesting question that happens sometimes with teams about would you rather have your hard games when you're not good or have your hard games when you're like fit healthy or have your hard games when you when you're hurt? And for the Pelicans, there's this weird idea that maybe if for me when you're a a worse team, you you just kind of want to take all your lumps at the same time because you probably weren't going to win those games anyway. And so the idea is I could see a path and I don't think it's a a, a wide path and it's a narrow one but a possible one where they get healthier as their schedule gets easier and they just put it together enough. And, you know, a little bit of shooting smoke and mirrors and, and some of that kind of variant stuff. And all of a sudden they're, you know, not viable. Like, I don't think they're like a like a, a strong team, but where they're just, they're fun and they're com- feisty and competitive and all that kind of stuff. And in the West, that's significant. Yeah, right. And, you know, you're building towards the yeah, future. Kind of like get... the Kings were last year. I think that's right. a fair comparison. They're yeah, not the like... same type of team, but that's sort of an idea. Yeah, and like you get the you get, you get Zion back, and you get some momentum towards the back half of the year, and you you're able to figure out what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Um, my final three tiers are made up of six teams, and it's this is just the the sads. Um, Spurs, wow, can't believe the Spurs are here, but here they are. Spurs, Cavs, Hawks, Grizzlies. Maybe the Lonnie Walker resurgence versus the Rockets combined with them shifting to the starting unit they had last year. I feel bad for DeJounte Murray. Maybe this will all kickstart it, but like 
I have been captain, like, let's keep a track of, like, what's going on with the starters every single game, and their starters are just garbage. Uh, I think the Spurs could win if they traded LaMarcus Aldridge for competent spacing and a pick-and-roll finisher. Um, I think they could win if they traded DeMar DeRozan for pick-and-roll three-point shooting guards and uh, a big 3-and-D wing. I do not think you can win with that combination of guys. There's a lot of data going back two years that just says you're starting off every game in a hole. You're finishing every game with them coming back on you, and it's that you just can't win that way. Um, that combination, I don't think it's about those two players being bad. I think it's about those two players not being able to fit together. This team does not work, in my opinion, as constructed, particularly due to what they did in the offseason. They got screwed by clutch with, with Marcus Morris. I had f- freely admit that. They also should just not have traded Bertans. They should have traded another asset instead of Bertans because that shooting was really valuable for their bench unit. Despite his problems in the playoffs, he couldn't even get on the floor. Um, they would just be better off with something that is a, like they're trying to do things opposite and counter culture to the three-point revolution. I get it. It's just not working, and I don't think that they're going to be good. The Cavs have fallen into a pit after a nice start. Start shockingly, you know, Tristan Thompson is not going to continue to be one of the most productive players in the NBA. Uh, the Hawks are just injured. They need they need Herder and um, uh, Collins back, and when they do, they'll probably progress to a twenty five to thirty win team. They're probably going to hit their under on the win total. I feel pretty good about that one, just because it's going to be too late for them to kind of catch up. Uh, the defense is what we thought it was, but the offense should be improved. It's really struggled. And, you know, like Memphis is just having like a fun season in which like, you know, Jaw had the unfortunate injury, but he'll be back. Jackson hasn't progressed as much, and that's concerning. That's maybe the biggest concern is like Jaron Jackson still fouls too much. He can't stay on the floor. And because he can't stay on the floor, he can't take a step forward. And so that's really concerning if you're trying to build for the future, because if Jackson's not it, that really sets you back several years. Um, so that's those four teams. And then I have the Warriors because it's basically like they would be the worst if not for the Knicks because their entire team is injured. And then there's the Knicks who, by the way, as we're recording this, have fired David Fisdale. That is not a surprise. I mean, the the buzzards have been circling for a while with Fisdale. And my big question there is, what are they going to look any different under somebody else? I mean... It, it is hard for me this is such a weird thing that Fisdale ended up in this situation because I don't know if he's a good coach. I don't know how that how that is ha- still happening with him. I mean he coached he was the coach in Memphis. He's been the coach for the Knicks. This is an unwinnable situation. There the roster makes no sense and I especially when you consider that general managers can put their thumb on the scale and you know who they paid and who they want to see action. I'm not saying that David Fisdale is a battery good coach. What I'm saying is I don't know. Well, so I have different perspective on this because I talked to folks in Memphis and um, the Memphis, like the Memphis folks were legitimately like it got painted as just him versus Mark. And the Memphis folks were like, if it was just him versus Mark, we'd figure it out because Mark would eventually come around to what the team needs. That's the kind of player Mark is. Even if he doesn't like him, he would eventually have been like, well, this is how it is. Mark's not going to continue to fuss over something that he can't change. And they were like, he genuinely slid towards the back half of that good year where they made the playoffs. We took major steps backwards. We didn't develop players. Um, the veterans really were uncomfortable with the system. Nobody was happy. He did not create a culture, a happy locker room. The culture was not good. Um, and now we have New York, and it's just like nobody, like Neil Aquino didn't break out. And, uh, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. has been nothing and couldn't get along with Porzingis and like all of these things. 
I don't like is it ridiculous to assume the idea of like, oh, well, uh, Fisdale was the problem. Like, that's not the case. They're firing him because that's what you do when you're in this situation. You fire the coach like they've done it a million times, like they'll do a million times. Nothing's changing with the Knicks until Dolan's gone, period. Like, I will I will not buy into any sort of team or idea or philosophy or free agency rumor. Nothing's changing until James Dolan is gone. And that is a reality I think most Knicks fans understand. Yeah, it's something that Nate and I discussed. And I just, even if they hired the right GM, would I, how long would it take for you to have faith that they're not getting impeded? Yeah, I just like, I guess part of it is just, even if they're getting, if they're getting impeded, the, the bar is so low, right? Like, even if you have like a bad, a bad culture and a lot, there's a, my understanding has always been, there's been a lot of cooks in the kitchen in New York. It's been a thing is that that front office structure is a lot larger than just Mills and Perry. It always has been, it has been for years. Um, and that's so that things are really complicated there. Um, and that's bad. The problem is like, you have to be good enough to where you just hit like, look, they're bad, but they're competent. They know what they're doing. They're decent. And like I watched that Nuggets game last night for Locked On Nuggets, the podcast I, I host on Wednesday, on th- Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I mean, it was the worst weak side defense I've seen this year. Like that's supposed to be Fizdale's whole thing. And it was just terrible. Like it was just miserable. Now, again, a lot of it is like the free agency decisions that like, they brought in. They brought in power forward upon power forward that really can't defend or isn't an impact guy except for Taj Gibson. And like they brought in Marcus Morris, which was a terrible addition to that locker room. Like that's not the guy you want. But I do think that that there's a level to which it's just like, look, Fisdale can be it can also be a relationship where it's like, well, yeah, Fisdale's a bad coach. That's why the bad front office hired him, because they're bad at hiring coaches like it's all connected. It's very circular to me. Yeah, it it is a challenge to to kind of reconcile all of those different things. And I, I, I agree with you. I it is one of my big frustrations with the NBA that they are far too lax on allowing clear negative owners to continue owning teams. I mean, for me, it shouldn't have taken what happened to Donald Sterling years later to get him out. He was, I mean, he was bad in every context. I mean, off the court, for the product, the way he approached it. And it's even more disastrous to have those in major markets. And now I do, I, I, the, the challenge here is as Mark Cuban kind of got in, involved in with the with the Donald Sterling thing is there is a slippery slope. I, I understand that and I agree with that. And when you have those, the board of governors and those types of groups making these decisions, it, it could get out of hand. But to me, especially when these owners are going to get fair market value for their teams, I would, in in my just world, it would be so much better if we were more aggressive getting bad owners out than the alternative. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. My last group, uh, well, actually, I should go, I, I don't think I ever finished the, the not last group. So Pelicans, Kings, Thunder, I think the case there is relatively clear on, on all three of those teams. Like, they're talented, but they're probably, especially with the, the sinkhole that the Kings started the season in, that they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not getting into that group. But you don't want to do playoffs with these kind of teams because then the disparity between the conferences makes it unfair. Then Bulls, Wizards, Spurs. The Spurs, I agree with you that they're, like, I mean, so your equivalent would be having me having them one tier down. There are a lot of reasons to think that. The criticisms of the starting lineup are completely fair. This team doesn't make sense. San Antonio is my 
fast forward team where for most most NBA franchises, I enjoy the process of discovery. I like, you know, who's breaking out, who's doing well, even if the team is bad, figuring out what they are and what they will be is worth experiencing it. Other than Lonnie Walker and periodic really fun moments from DeJounte and Derek White, I just don't enjoy watching Spurs. I still do it because it's important for my job. But for them, if I could, and this is so sad considering this is towards the end of Pop's tenure, tenure whenever that is. But, but I, I, I just don't just relish, don't it. relish it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, oh, I want to ask you uh, one more thing on on this is if Se- if Steph had not gotten hurt, where do you think the Warriors are? Oh, so I, I think they I mean, it, it's hard because they got their they got their butts kicked pretty consistently when they were this version of healthy. They were missing their bigs and that hurt, but not not huge. My instinct is they probably, like, let's say Steph misses 10 games as opposed to this. I think they probably would have been in the mid-30s, something like that. I, they were worse than I thought they'd be, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're worse than most of us thought. Like, nobody thought they would be that bad because we just assumed that the top of the, the order would would keep them up. And it just turns out, no, as that was not the case for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see. I think the next time that we do this, uh, we will have a pretty good sense of – I think we'll be able to kind of like triangulate the title stuff a little bit more, or maybe it'll be messier. Maybe, maybe things will get messy here uh, with injuries and everything else. But you know, that over the next month, we're going to see uh, one team regress back to where they should be. And one team is going to like, there's going to be one team with positive regression and one team with negative regression. That's going to be like, Oh, that's right. They're still pretty good. And then, and then another team where we're going to be like, Oh, we thought they were good. Maybe not. I'm excited for, for to see that happen. Well, I'll lay out. I haven't done my full drags. And, and for me, this was talent based. And so I understand why you had Charlotte so high because they're really fun to watch. And they're a good story to me from a talent perspective. They just aren't that good. And it might be that I'm under I'm underestimating guys like Devontae. How dare you besmirch PJ Washington? How <laughs> dare you, Daniel LaRue? PJ PJ Washington and Zeller and I mean Bridges is not having an inspiring year from from Nick, when I've seen him. Like it's just I mean, it's, Nick Batum's on off ratings are really good. <laughs> yeah, so but but so for me this group, Hornets Hawks and the Hawks, when they're healthy, I think could be above this, but this is a lot of not healthy that they've already gone and we're still, I think it's still another few weeks without John Collins. Uh, Warriors, obviously. Grizzlies, Cavs, Knicks. Like for me, all, th- there are differences and I think like I nearly had the Knicks just in like a super dregs category by themselves and I compiled this before Fizz got fired, obviously. Uh, but I-, I think that for all of them, they could get feisty for a short period of time, especially if the not healthy teams get healthy. But I don't see for any of them, at least in their current state, a way that they're fundamentally better than like a 30 to 35 win team. Like that was the, when you brought up the idea of of Steph, I thought that was actually kind of, it helped firm up why the Warriors are in this group is that even when they're in their right stage, they're still not super good. Whereas like the Pelicans and Kings, I could see them being over 500 for like a month or two. I, I could see that. I don't necessarily predict it, but I could see it. Right, for sure. Anything else you want to discuss? Uh, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, we got to a lot of different stuff, but of course, anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta balance. I gotta write about this Clippers Bucks game tonight, so I gotta get that up. Um, you, can, you can check that on the Action Network. Thanks for having me, man. I love doing these. Thanks so much to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Action Network. 
actionnetwork.com and can also listen to him frequently on the Lockdown Nuggets podcast. And if you don't already, he has over 136,000 followers. You can follow him on Twitter at HPBasketball, H-P-B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. But we're not done. Had a really interesting conversation with Dave Mason of BetOnline.ag on the college football playoff. It was something I've been thinking about because we're getting closer to all of that happening. And so I wanted to talk with him about where where that is and how it affects his line of work at BetOnline.ag. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Danny. This is an eventful part of the sports calendar. There are a lot of different things that we could discuss. But one that I, I was thinking about this afternoon and, and thought it'd be interesting to ask you is, we're a couple of years in now, more than a few, into the college football playoff era, and I was wondering how that has changed your line of work. Um, well, from an action standpoint, it's a good thing. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we have those two champ- uh, playoff games, which get huge action, then the national title game, which seems to get even more action than they used to. Uh, you know, the little 14 four tournament, I guess, it's, it's, it's a good thing for us. So... Um, and it makes meets these other games. You know, we have championship weekend, and the action is great on these, especially the SEC, where there's so many implications to get in that little fourteen tournament, if you will. So, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's and it's you know from a future standpoint too, it, it's it's a lot easier for us, I think, too, to to set the odds on the on the futures. Um, it's, it's you know it's easier to see what teams are have a shot to get in the tournament, et cetera. So well, and we're, there, we're there isn't fans. as much of an argument about who the actual national champion is. I'm sure that could have been a problem at points too. No, absolutely. Uh, 100%. You know, it, it, it was just so, you know, from a fan standpoint and a, and a, and a bookmaker standpoint, it was just so vague. You know what I mean? It was just so, I mean, God, I can't even believe it. That, that's how it used to be. And it, like you said, it's only been a few years into it, but it just seems such like a dinosaur concept what it was. Um, so yeah, we're we're a big fan here at Bet Online. It, it's and it just makes it much more from a stand standpoint and, and the bookmaker standpoint. It makes it such more relevant and uh, easier to promote the games too. Like I said, I work on more of the marketing side of things, and it's just you know you're talking about the college football playoff all year. Who's going to make it? You know, we guess we set those odds. Um, we have them up just about all year. You know, all, all the teams that are in the running. Yes, no. Are they going to make college football playoffs? So it's. It, it's better from that standpoint, too. And those are very popular odds, so we get a lot of good action on those. I can also imagine that something that affects it, too, is that now that it, since it's a 14 playoff, and this would go up even more if they ever expanded to eight, is you get to see the teams play a little bit closer to when they played before. I mean, remember back in the in the early Bulls series, in the, in the Bulls pre- previous to this, the teams wouldn't play for like a month, and then you would have to get it. And now, at least for the title game, they've gotten something, and so you get to see them play against good competition somewhat close to the actual game. No, it's a great point. I didn't even think about that, but you're, you're 100% correct. You know, you get two more games out of them and, and that's a championship weekend and, and uh, they go they go in hibernation for a few weeks and then you get them on the uh, semifinals and the final. So absolutely, it's a great point. The, the one other thing I want to ask you about that, and I mean, from marketing, this might actually be easier to answer because I don't know if you have data, is I remember when it started, there was this criticism of the playoff, like, the, like has happened in other sports where, oh, well, if you put these games on, then it's going to make all the other bowl games less important, and it's going to it's going to minimize all those. And I was wondering, it could just be, you know, anecdotal, but have you really seen that, or has it been kind of the people who are interested in the holiday bowl or in the, I mean, you could go through any number. I don't even know what all the sponsors are anymore. Um, right. But if they, if, if are, have you noticed just, even if it's just from your limited experience, any difference in the interest in those kind of things now that there are games that quote-unquote count? 
not from a betting angle. Um, no, I mean, they, they get action. You know, they're on national TV. They're still two good teams. I mean, you know, it, those games were, were the same level before anyways uh, of importance. You know what I mean? They really didn't mean they were just pretty much bragging right games before, and that's what they are now, the, the non-playoff uh, games. So, you know, it, it's it, people are betting it more. It, it comes down to national TV, the marquee matchups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they, we're, we're, football action is great. That that hasn't impacted us at all. Um, the college football playoff games get more action than they used to, you know, the whatever the championship game used to get back back a few years ago. So it's a good thing. Yeah, that all that all makes sense to me. Uh, anything else that's kind of on on your docket that you think would be interesting for listeners to know about? Uh, well, shoot, I mean the betting docket is full this weekend. NFL, we get um, a lot of great games, and uh, college basketball is one thing that's starting to get. You know, it always has that kind of soft open as far as betting is concerned. I mean, the schedule has improved over the years, but uh, we offer every college for every college basketball game we have a game total on it, and that sounds like oh, you should, but. That's not the case these days. Most books don't offer college basketball totals on every game. So if you want a college basketball total on every game, we have it here at betonline.ag. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Danny. Have a great one. Thanks so much to Dave Mason for coming on. Check out betonline.ag and use that Podcast One promo code. Also, of course, want to thank Matt Moore for coming on. You can check him out at the Action Network, Locked On Nuggets, at HP Basketball. Love having him on, and we will do more Tears podcasts, of course, in the future. I don't have a tentative timeline for the next one, but you know, we every every month, month and a half, we usually do this. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways that you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast wherever you're choosing. It's great for Apple Podcasts. I totally understand if it is not. Or if you want to be super awesome, if you use a different player, you can actually leave a review both places. You can also spread the word. Word of mouth is very important. Social media, in person, whatever makes you happy. And of course, subscribing, downloading every episode, super important for a show like this that comes out whenever I can. It is once a week, but you never know when it's going to be. And the most important thing for this show and any other that has them is checking out our sponsors. BetOnline.ag with that Podcast One promo code gets you a 50% sign-up bonus. Download the CBS Sports app to check out CBS Sports HQ. Love having both of them as as sponsors. This is a rare occasion where I can tell you the next Real GM Radio. I have actually recorded it. It is with Ben Golliver. We talked about his take on the season so far and also his upcoming feature on LeBron James Jr., which I thought was really interesting. We went through the prep that he was doing on that and his takeaways. The piece is not written as of when we recorded it, but we go through that. That will come out early next week. I would normally say uh, you can listen to me on Dunked On. That is not rigidly true. I'm going to be on Sunday night's episode, and then I'm going to be off for about two weeks. I'm going to Europe, which I'm very excited about. But Real Jam Radio will still be running strong. We pre-recorded a couple of Dunked On things, but then he's going to be having other guests too. And my writing will still be going. I, I'm working on stuff at The Athletic and will be writing on the plane. And when I have time in, in Europe, it will not be my focus, but I will be doing it as well. So you can check that out too. And of course, all the great content on Real GM. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to reach out to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. They go into a special place in my inbox. And I respond when I can, but I don't always have that time. I always have the time to read it, but thinking about thoughtful things. And sometimes they can be much delayed. I have people every once in a while tell me about that. Um, but the show will go on. Golfer episode will be next week. And then I already have a guest lined up for the following week, which I will record after I return. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thank you.